Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Okay, so I think I told you a joke a number of months ago, and I like it so much that I think I'm going to bring it back again. Maybe you weren't here that Sunday, or maybe you were, but just kind of go with me, because I've enjoyed this. So the, I, my question is, how many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? You've probably heard this or something like this before. It's even in the news. Okay, so if you're a Presbyterian, Presbyterians, none. Lights go on and off at predestined times. If, uh, if you're a Catholic, none, because we use candles. Got that. Baptist takes 15. One to change the bulb and three committees to change and approve and decide who brings a potato salad. Episcopalians, it takes three. One to call the electrician, one to mix the drinks, and one to talk about how much better the old bulb was. <laughs> if you're a charismatic, it only takes one. Hands are already up, ready to go. <laughs> if you're a Pentecostal, it takes ten. One to change the bulb, and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. <laughs> Unitarians. We choose not to make a statement either in favor of or against the need for a light bulb. However... If in your own journey you have found the light bulbs work for you, that's fine. You're invited to write a poem or compose a modern dance about your light bulb for next Sunday service, in which we will explore a number of light bulb traditions, including incandescence, fluorescence, three-way, long life, tinted, all of which are equally valid paths to luminescence. <laughs> Methodists. I'm going to insult everybody here, okay? So, I'm... I, I'm doing a good job so far, right? Okay, Methodist, undetermined. Whether your light is bright or dull or completely out, you're loved. You can be a light bulb, a turnip bulb, or a tulip bulb. Churchwide lighting services plan for next Sunday. Bring the bulb of your choice and a covered dish. <laughs> See, they get it in the Methodist church about food, too. Okay, about baked potatoes. Nazarenes, six. One woman to replace the bulb while five men review the policy for changing light bulbs. Lutherans, none. Lutherans don't believe in change. <laughs> Amish. Amish. What's a light bulb? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, have I dug a deep enough hole here, I suppose? Okay, no. I mean, I, what's the point? I don't know. I just thought it was funny. And I'm in there in several applications. Several of those have somehow affected my past. But, um, you know, while we're so busy, I think sometimes in life, fussing over more minor things like light bulbs, there is a world out there that really wants to put your light out. And uh, completely. So today I'm going to talk to you about a subject that we generally don't even want to consider. We don't really even want to think about this, and that's the possibility or the idea of persecution. I mean, it's not what we signed up for, you know, persecution, because we follow Jesus Christ. And I would say, just from a, you know, a scaredy-cat pastor's perspective, this is probably one of the hardest messages for me to teach and maybe for you to hear in this series, um, but it's God's Word. And the topic of persecution is generally not being taught out there in the world, even though Jesus spent quite a bit of time on it. In fact, when we go through our scriptures today, you're going to find that there, for the most part, they're going, to be, they're going to show up in this reddish color on the wall. But in my translation that I use, when Jesus is being literally quoted, it's in red ink. And so Jesus spent quite a bit of time on this topic with uh, his followers. And in fact, and the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ shall be, will be persecuted. 
2 Timothy. So now maybe some of you are right along about now thinking, you know, this really doesn't have a whole lot to do for me, Terry. I don't really, I've never really been persecuted. And um, I would say right off the bat that that's not necessarily a really good sign if you've never ever been persecuted um, because you have peace by never sharing the gospel. If that's why you're never persecuted, that's not necessarily good. Christians, uh, um, you know, if, 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 you, if your lifestyle will allow you to share the gospel, you might find yourself being persecuted because you're in the fray, and that would be a good thing. And for the most part, persecution in the West, in our part of the world, is pretty much unheard of. I mean, for the most part. Things are changing, though, and I, I want to um, talk about some of that today. Persecutions has certainly been around for a very, very um, long time against, uh, against Christians. It's going back to the time of Christ. And um, so in this series that we're doing on security, we come to the question, how safe is the church? And I mean that at every level. How safe is Crossroads Church and how safe is the body, the bride of Christ? How, how safe is the church? Most recently, even just a few months ago in November, last November, um, First Baptist Church in Southern Texas had a guy walk in and open up fire and he killed 20 26 people, another 20 people were wounded. It was a terrible, terrible day. And if, if you look back over the last 25 years or so, there have been, um, that sounds scary to me too, little one. We love our little ones here, don't we? Amen. Amen. Um, but over the last 25 years, um, there have been 139, at least that's what I could find, 139 shootings on church property over the last 25 years, 185 deaths. And uh, that averages about six shootings a year. And uh, just so that you know, your odds of being in a church shooting um, is one in six and a half million. So it's not very, your odds are very, very good. So I, let's ask the question, is the church secure? Well, I want to give you a quick and resounding and immediately, absolutely yes, the church is secure. From a heavenly perspective, it's absolutely secure. From Jesus' perspective, the church is absolutely secure. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You don't have to take that little one out. <laughs> don't mean to embarrass a mom. You're not supposed to draw attention, but I just want this family to know you don't have to fuss over that kind of stuff. We don't, do we? Right? We love kids. Okay, so I have read the book. In the end, I'm telling you, we win. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But I'd like to talk, just take a moment. That's not what today's about. I want to take just a minute, a moment, and talk to you about the safety on this campus physically. Uh, just because I think I should address that question. Um, are we secure here? here? I, I, I believe absolutely yes. Beyond the statistical, are we safe? Yes, I believe we are safe here. Um, if you've noticed over the last number of months, we've done some things to be better prepared than we were in the past. And we have security people who are... Um, security people at every service. They're people from among our flock. You've probably seen them with a little tube going up into their ear. They're on radios, and there are several people in communications, and um, we've done some training, and we'll continue to do some training, and uh, there are radios now out in the children's building. You notice when all of our kids went, they went over there. What you didn't see was there were security people along the way. Once the kids get into the building over there, because it's a separate structure, we lock it up. Now the windows are open. If you mom and dads want to see what's going on, you walk over there and you see the window and you can get in if you want to. But somebody can't just walk into the building. Plus there are people, there are radios in there. They can talk to our people. We have people that are roaming around right now looking outward. What's going on around us? And we have people on the inside looking inward. 
you are being covered and protected. Okay? And we do those things um, not because we're afraid, but because it's just wise. It's just wise in this day and age for us to, to watch out for the flock. Don't you agree? Okay. So we're taking reasonable and prudent steps because it's wise. But our trust, our trust is not in security teams, it's in God. So you and I still have um, maybe some more questions than just, um, is it okay? Is it safe for me to go to church? Yes, it's safe for us to be at church on Sundays. And um, what about all the other stuff going on? You know, what, what about the future of the church, especially in America? You know, what about, what about the possibility of persecution, the topic? Um, if I'm a Christian, am I going to face it? And if, if per- persecution is actually coming, how do I get prepared for it? Well, in our day today, we find Luke 21 is very, very relevant. Jesus is having a conversation, and uh, he has three points that he goes over with, with his disciples. One, what to expect in the Christian's future. You know, it's something that they didn't bargain on hearing. They weren't expecting this answer. Two, why were they, they were going to experience it? And then what to do, how to respond to it. Now, you may, if you are a student of the Word of God, you may already know this passage in Scripture. The, this, uh, the big theme in this passage is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, so if we jump ahead to the, um, you know, the highlight of verse, it's where Jesus promises he's going to come back, and this is found in 27 and 28. Then, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. That day is coming, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, when these things, these things, which are what he's been talking about in this chapter, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. By the way, when he comes, it's too late to be looking up, because that moment will come in the twinkling of an eye. A scientifically measured, tiny, you don't have time to think about it and to make any decisions about your future at that point. Twinkling of an eye. But there's the highlight. But before he gets to verse 27, he tells the people, his disciples, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the world? What's going to happen in their lives before he comes back? And in verse 8, he says, he starts out right there and he says, you can expect some religious deception. Verse 8. And he said, take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them, Jesus warns. So he tells us, every individual person, be responsible. Take heed yourself. Because people will come who will deceive you and say, I'm Jesus. I'm representing Jesus. And be careful. So that's what the world can expect to see, some false religious expressions. And it's always been the case. It's been outside the church. You see religious groups and cults out there. And, and it's even been inside the church to some degree where, where it's pro- proliferated. And, and it's going to continue to proliferate until the end. <laughs> then in verse 9 and 10, he says we can expect international conflict. Okay. But when you hear of wars and commotion, uh, commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So we're not supposed to be surprised when these things start to happen. I mean, I don't know if it's always been this way for the last couple thousand years, but my entire life, there has been a lot of conflict in the world. I think it's been maybe more over the last couple of centuries. But anyway, um, he said, don't be surprised. This is going to happen, and it's going to happen before he comes again. Then he talks about natural disasters, verse 11. 
and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Now, as Jesus is going through this list, I'm guessing that these guys were like gobsmacked. They did not expect this to come uh, out of his mouth. They weren't expecting this. Their theology was a little bit different. They had expectations. Jews at that time had uh, this fixed theology. They really believed that once the Messiah comes, you know, and they believed Jesus to be the Messiah, these, these disciples, they, they believed he's there for good. He's not going to leave them and come back. They expected him to conquer Rome, you know, and um, to you know, destroy the enemies of the nation of Israel and set himself up as king right away and, and that they would reign and rule with him right away. So they had some expectations. They thought things were like about there and we're in good shape. But, but now, you know, hey, wait, he's, he's talking about religious deception and natural disasters and wars and conflicts. And then it gets worse. <laughs> Verse 12. And this is where it gets shocking to them. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And this is shocking. It's the exact opposite of what these guys were thinking and what they were expecting. It's hard for them to get their head around this. And in fact, they don't. They really don't. I mean, even after he tells them all this, if you read on in the very next chapter, they start arguing about things like who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit at his left hand and his right hand. I mean, they're, they're just like, they just blow right past all this nonsense about persecution and, um, you know, and all of that's going on. And, and, and they still don't even get it after Jesus lifts himself out of the grave. They still don't get it. In fact, Acts chapter one, their first question is, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He's, you know, they still don't get it. Verse 12, so Jesus, so in, for, in verse 12, what Jesus is telling us is a couple of things. One, you can expect to be hated by the religious establishment. When he says, they will deliver you to the synagogues and the prisons, you know, the, the local synagogues were also the local court. And so civil and criminal cases were handled in the synagogues. They had, they had 23 judges that would sit in judgment. And, um, and, and so that's not what they expected. They didn't expect to be called into court, so to speak. They, you know, they, they, did, they didn't expect that Israel was going to reject Jesus as Messiah and that that rejection was going to involve them um, was pretty unexpected. And the second thing that Jesus tells in that passage was, you're going to be hated by the secular world. You'll be brought before kings and rulers. In other words, the Gentiles. The Jews at this point, they had no king. They were under a foreign power that was ruling over them. And so this isn't what they expected either. And they, they thought Jesus was going to conquer Rome and, you know, <laughs> change things. And, and by the time that, that Jesus gets to verse 16, it gets even worse because he says, you're going to be hated by your own family and maybe even killed. Verse 16, you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Wow. Come on, Terry, let's get past this to something more encouraging. I'm going as fast as I can, okay? <laughs> okay. But now, then this is, this is more than they can handle already. They are already up to here. And Jesus isn't quite yet done because it still gets even worse. Verse 17, he says, the whole world is going to gang up on you. And this is an absolute meltdown of what these guys believed. But it did happen, right? I mean, 
It, not, it, it didn't exactly what Jesus said would happen, happen. I mean, you can go through the book of Acts, and as soon as the gospel starts getting preached in cities, it says the, the synagogues rise, rose up against them. They, the disciples are getting arrested. They're, they're being betrayed. Some of them are being killed. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, you can learn a lot about church history if you want to get into this. It's not light reading. Um, there's a book out there called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's not for like reading to try to go to sleep at night. Um, it's a book of history. And um, it details how Christians, um, brothers, your brothers and sisters from the past, suffered terrible persecution because they believed in Jesus Christ. I mean, the early church, they were, they were fed to lions and there were disciples that were burned at, at the stake. Uh, Caesar Nero was a terrible, terrible man. And he literally took Christians and uh, poured sap on them and lit them on fire and used them as human torches in his gardens at night. I mean, this guy was terrible. They, were, they wrapped Christians in lamb skins and threw them to wolves and wild dogs and they would be eaten. It was just terrible. This is not what these guys expected to hear. Just like you don't want to hear this this morning. <laughs> the baked potatoes are coming. Hang on. So a question for you, not to answer out loud, but is this, what did you expect would happen? I mean, what were your expectations? What were you told when you came to know Christ as Savior? What if somebody had framed it to you this way? You know, hey, um, you, should, you should consider and you should open your life up and your heart up to Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him as, as Lord and Savior. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be forgiven all of your sins. Your life is going to change because you'll be led by the Lord and you'll find peace in, in all kinds of times when you shouldn't be able to have peace. It'll go beyond your understanding. And even better than that, when you, when, when you die, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. All this really good stuff. Oh, but by the way, while you're here on the earth, people are going to hate you. They're going to turn against you and uh, even, maybe even your own family will shun you. You know, maybe you were told or maybe your thinking about following Jesus was that it's going to lead to all kinds of health and prosperity and um, you're going to escape all of life's problems. Because after all, isn't that what the guy on TV said would happen? What did you expect? Because what Jesus is actually telling them they can expect is different than that. And it's, you know, at this moment where we are in our conversation today, it's kind of grim. And since persecution has always been around since Christ, we tend to think about that as something from long ago, right? We do. We think that way. Well, let me give you a couple of um, statistics. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. In the world. On the average, over the last 10 years, between 90 and 100,000 Christians are martyred around the world for their faith every year. In Sudan, um, a lot of Christians have been killed or sold into slavery. In places like Indonesia, entire villages of Christians are burned by Muslim radicals. Um, more Christians died for their faith between 1900 and 2000. In that 100-year time frame, more Christians died for their faith than in the entire preceding 2,000 years before. 
In the entire two preceding thousand years before, 14 million Christians were martyred. And in the last century, 26 million Christians around the world. Now, we get a lot of press to the Holocaust. This is a Holocaust that makes the other one pale. But it's so spread out and it's so around the world that we don't capture the magnitude of it. Now, I agree exactly with you right now, thinking, oh, yeah, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> you know, that wasn't part of the package. And certainly, Jesus' disciples did not expect to hear him telling them these things. And granted, we don't see this kind of stuff going on within the borders of the United States. I mean, it's, it's this. But maybe we need to be aware of this. Jesus felt it was important for his disciples to be aware. Maybe we need to be aware too, because there could be some things coming. And for certain, Jesus wanted his disciples to be aware. So I think today in the United States, an objective look will tell you that there's more vocal, aggressive, hostile language, at least towards believers. And we're seeing that. I mean, a generation ago, um, this is my subjective assessment, but a generation ago, to hold public office in the United States, pretty much almost every public office, you kind of at least, you either had to be or had to appear to be a Christian. If you were an atheist and admitted it 25, 35, 45 years ago, there was no chance you would get elected. You just couldn't. It was the, you couldn't get elected. That's not true anymore. It's just not true anymore. Um, recently, on a, a, a program that's on in the mornings on ABC called The View, Joy Behar made a comment about our vice president. And uh, forget the politics of this. Just listen to the statement. It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's a different thing when Jesus talks to you. That's called mental illness. That was Joy Behar's comment. Now, um, I think Joy doesn't know the scripture from John chapter 10 that uh, says, Jesus talking says, my sheep know my voice and um, I know them and they follow me. Now, when I first heard that, I had, I had long, long ago kind of walled off my mind and my heart and my TV channels from The View um, because it's just not healthy for me to watch it. It just stirs up things in me that are not godly, right? <laughs> But I was, I was angry at Joy for this. You were attacking my ability to hear from God. It just made me angry. And my response was, okay, here's the thing for you, Joy. Um, Isaiah 520, I think, that says, you know, woe unto you who exchange good for evil, and all this kind of stuff. And I know I could just, just confess that before you right now. That's all scriptural, but the Holy Spirit kind of you know, there's a thumb spot right here where the Holy Spirit's thumb fits perfectly and the Holy Spirit has strong enough thumbs to go up and pin me to the wall. <laughs> and um, Terry, that is not the right heart. Don't have to agree so quick, Eric. <laughs> That's not right. And, um, and my heart breaks for joy, Behar. Listen, I will not watch her show. These are personal statements, okay? You agree or disagree? I will not watch the show. In fact, I really am kind of at the point where I have nothing that uh, interest in supporting ABC or Disney anymore. For them to continually press this against, the, I mean, have no, have no question about the fact 
the people who oversee that entire network set the tone for what goes over their air. Okay. Off my, but my heart towards her went from being angry and wanting to flog her with God's word to being one of, of being brokenhearted for the woman. She, she, I just feel bad for her. I want her saved. I want her life to change because she can't possibly be happy with the vitriol that just continually, you know, scripture says it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you because it passes through. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you because it has come from your heart. And that kind of a heart is killing her. Breaks my heart. Anyway, that, you would have never heard that kind of a statement against Christianity over one of the major networks. I mean, it's getting hard out here for Christians. And this goes back a long way. Um, and if you look at the history of our country, I believe that one of the fulcrums of where this changed was in the early 60s when prayer was outlawed from schools, 1962. And that's my opinion, but here are some facts and you can decide for yourself. Here's how... Um, our culture changed, if you, if you just look at objective measurements from about that time, from before and after. Since 1962, criminal arrests of teens in the United States up 150%, according to the Bureau of Census. I'm going to give you my sources. Okay, These are opinions. Teen suicide rates, 15 to 19, which suicide is never the answer. Every time I say the word suicide in a service, I want to stop for a moment and tell every one of you, the Lord loves you like crazy, and he has for you a hope and a future. Suicide is not the answer. Talk to someone who will help you. Anyway, okay, teen suicide rates, ages 15 to 19, since 1962, are up 450%. National Center of Health and Science. Illegal drug use, up 6,000%. Child abuse cases up 2,300%. Divorce up 350%. SAT scores down 10%. Even though in, in the intervening time, the SAT um, tests, the questions were actually made easier. The test scores are still going down. Violent crime up 350%. I mean, you can keep going through these, these statistics. National morality figures have, have just absolutely plummeted at the same time that teen preg- pregnancies have gone up dramatically, all since 1962. After prayer was banned, um, there have been dis- debates, and they continue about the Ten Commandments being in courthouses and, um, you know, and there's a conversation that comes up every so often. Take out the words under God off of our coins and our bills. Okay, it's, just, it's interesting to watch. And most of those cultural changes have been spearheaded by a group called the ACLU. And um, uh, I believe the ACLU has an agenda. Uh, here's a quote from the founder, one of the co-founders of the ACLU, a guy named Roger Nash Brown. I'm for socialism, disarmament, and ultimately for abolishing the state itself. I seek the social ownership of property, the abolition of the the propertied class, and the sole control of those who produce wealth. Communism is the goal. Okay, this is the founder of the ACLU, and communism is typically atheist. This this isn't good. (laughs) This is just not good. And there are a lot, awful lot of examples of these kinds of cases going into courts, and rather than being legislated change to the law of the land, there were judicial, there's basically judicial legislation to change the tone in the courts of America. 
And uh, they found that when they can't, the ACLU, when they, when they can't get changed legislatively, that's how they'll do it. They'll find a judge somewhere and they'll get the law changed by. And, and they're, they're, they're vigorous and they're aggressive and they're intimidating, so intimidating that many times they'll go someplace and um, come into a situation and the people there will just fold. They just fold. It's happening. The criminalization of, of Christianity. And not just in the United States. Here are a couple of cases. A Swedish court sentenced a Pentecostal preacher. His name was Ake Green. Um, he was a guy in his 70s. They sent him, sentenced him to prison after he was found, in, found guilty of having offended homosexuals in a sermon by reading Romans chapter 1. Now, if you read Romans chapter 1, you will see God cutting a very clear line and calling sin, sin. There are lifestyles that are present in our culture today that you have immense pressure on you to accept as natural and normal, and God's word says they're not. And in fact, our own culture in the, back in the 70s, um, if you are in the, in the practice of uh, psychiatry, there's a, a book called the DSM or the... Um, Diagnostic Services Manual. Yes, thank you. I that. And they update that every so often. And up, up until the 1970s, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. And it slowly changed. And now it's promoted in your high schools. You cannot hardly walk into a high school in America anymore without rainbow flags. Um, it's a cultural shifting. Okay. So he, he goes to prison for reading Romans chapter 1. And in Myra, Elmira, New York, um, seven Christians were arrested in a public park for praying. There was a gay festival going. They were just praying. They got down on their knees and prayed. Didn't talk to anybody. Didn't put up any banners. Didn't obstruct anything. Didn't throw anybody. Didn't touch anybody. Arrested for praying. Um, it drug out for quite a while and eventually the charges were dropped, but not for quite a while. Measured in years. In uh, Philadelphia, two women in their 70s, two grandmas, um, and 10 other people were arrested for sharing their faith on a public sidewalk. And they, f the, 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 they faced a possible uh, sentence in prison for hate crimes, for sharing their faith. Two Christian bakers in um, Oregon, Aaron and Melissa Klein, were fined um, uh, over $100,000 by the state of Oregon in order to pay a lesbian couple $135,000 in this suit who said this, they felt mentally raped when the bakers declined to make a wedding cake. They said, our faith won't let us be a part of that. We can't support that. And um, the court said they're not entitled to the Constitution's promise of uh, religious liberty and free speech. And um, during that whole thing, it got all kinds of press. It's still in the press, and it's still not resolved. But their children received death threats because mom and dad wouldn't bake the cake. Now, maybe you're thinking, <laughs> Terry, how is this supposed to be appealing to me? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you're trying to get us to sign up for following Christ. How, uh, how are you ever going to get anybody attracted to Christianity like this? Well, one thing I want to just appeal to your logic and say, um, would not knowing this truth about being persecuted stop the persecution? You need to know. We need to know. We need to have our eyes open. And, and the alternative is terrible. The alternative is so, so, so that we can be prepared and so that we can successfully get through it. So let's get into what Jesus actually said here. And um, um, so he starts out, by, and he starts out by mentioning people who were apathetic, people who were lukewarm. 
about the things of God. And in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 14, he says, And in them the prophecy, prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Please don't let your heart grow dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So Jesus is preparing the disciples for persecution, just like we are today. Um, and uh, back up to verse 2. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth uh, of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the disciples heard this, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say to them. So Jesus explains it. Verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Let me explain it to you again. When everyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one, that's the enemy of our soul, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So that's the explanation Je Jesus gives to the disciples. And believe it or not, that's the explanation that comes packed in cotton balls. That's the fluffy one. That's the soft version. Okay. Because he has to go through it again. He has to explain this again. And he does it again with another parable here. And um, this next one he comes to them, he cuts to the chase, and all of the cotton balls are removed. So buckle your seatbelts, okay? I'm saying to you, church, buckle your seatbelts. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's God sowing the seed. It's God speaking to people's hearts his truth. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Okay, tares are like weeds. It'd be like... You have a garden right now, and in a month or two, you're going to see these big things with yellow flowers. We call them scotch broom, and you don't want them in your garden, right? You don't want scotch broom in your garden, right? Okay. Okay. At least according to Lisa, we do not want scotch broom. Okay. So, and okay. Uh, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend 
and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now I have to tell you, as a pastor, I don't think I have ever stood in front of a church and used and read wailing and gnashing of teeth. If I have, I don't remember it. And I hate that I got to read that. But it's the words of Jesus. It's terrible what is so freely avoided. Anyway, keep going. Uh, lost my place. 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the most loving thing that Jesus is, is doing, is warning people so that they can freely shine. It's better to go through some temporal um, rejection of this world um, than the eternal rejection of God. And that's Jesus' point. He's, 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 he's describing this unexpected future for these disciples. Second thing he's doing is he tells his disciples why it's going to happen, why they're going to experience this. At the end of verse 12, notice he says, you'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake, my namesake. In verse 17, you'll be hated, for all, hated by all for my namesake. They're going to persecute you, Jesus says, because they hate me. They hate me. It's not because Christians are ornery or unkind or unlovely, although sometimes we can do that. <laughs> the reason this is going to happen is, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just because they represent me. Christians follow me. The gospel. They're tied to me. The world hates the gospel because it's just not inclusive. It's really, really exclusive. It can include everyone. I mean, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Any person in any country of any language, of any age, of any time can come to Jesus and have their sins forgiven. But the gospel says that only those who receive Christ as Lord and Savior are going to enter heaven. And all those who reject him eternally will um, be lost. That is not an appealing message. It angers people. People hate the gospel. Here's, here's the reactions. You see them right there in the book of Acts, Acts, Acts 2. Peter was preaching. It says, now when they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart. Acts 5, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Acts 7, Stephen's teaching um, about Jesus is, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Arr! That's how mad they were. <laughs> I've seen little children do that. <laughs> In fact, I've done it. <laughs> okay. The, the, these, these people who were hearing the good news right there at the beginning, you recorded in the book of Acts, they, they didn't want to hear this. The narrow gospel is a very tough message. Listen, if there were 500 different ways to get to God, I'd preach all 500. I would. But there's not. If you have a plain and simple reading of the text of God's word, there's only one way to to heaven, and that angers people. And Jesus said, it's because of me. It's for my name's sake. That's the unavoidable truth. It's a factor there for us. So here's the principle, the basic principle. Great persecution is simply a result of the Great Commission. You know, if you go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel, you're going to get persecuted. All who live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, 
You know that it hated me before it hated you. And then verse 25, he says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Several several Proverbs and Psalms, excuse me, Psalms. If they hate you, it's because of me. So what do we do now? How do we respond? You know, I I think it takes unswerving followers um, to meet up against this, unswerving followers. When, when When you receive... Christ as Lord and Savior, and I think I'm probably talking to most of you, um, you know, life was good. You might have been thinking, man, life, this is great. I mean, this is wonderful. Then all of a sudden, life gets a little hard, and people kind of start to you know, laugh at you, and you, maybe your family rejects you, or things get more tangibly serious. You maybe lose a job or a relationship because of it, and it's, things can get really hard. So what do we do? We'll start with this. Number one, believe in his promise believe in his promise. Look at the promise right there in verse 18. He says, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. Okay, Jesus, what does that even mean? I mean, you just got saying, got done saying that, that <laughs> they're going to hate you, maybe kill you, but by the way, not a hair on your head's going to, okay, that, did, is Jesus saying here that Christians are going to be exempt from suffering? No, that is not what he's saying here. That wouldn't make sense. It would, it would just contradict the things that he just got done saying. What he's saying here is that there is some sovereign protections at work in your life, okay? And um, the same idea is being taught in another passage in Matthew chapter 10, and this is Jesus talking again. He says this, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. It's easier to number some of your heads than others. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. It's so immature of me. Um, I just what popped into my mind, and I should just not learn not to do it. I'm thinking about my own head. Look, look. I used to have hair up there. When I started dating Lisa, I had long curly hair down in the middle of my back. <laughs> I wasn't truly a hippie or anything. I just had whatever. (laughs) But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows every hair on your head. Yeah. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Why, Why does Jesus point out God's interest in his investment in our future? I think it's because... When we're so poorly treated by the world, we, we're kind of apt to think, you know, where's God? God doesn't care. Look what's happening to me. And Jesus would say, hey, I have got the countdown. I know your, the hairs on your, even on your head. Trust me, I got this. So whatever you think you're going to lose, you know, on this earth, you know, a friendship because of your relationship with Jesus or a job or maybe even get killed as some people have, which is so unlikely for anybody in this room. Here's the deal. Then you die and you get ushered into heaven. You are not going to look back and go, wow, I lost my BFF on Facebook. (laughs) Did I get that wrong? (laughs) Okay. You're not going to look back about those things. They're going to melt into uh, uh, yeah, they're just not going to be that big a deal. Jesus in Matthew 5 says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
wow. Do you believe his promise? Right? One, do you believe in his promises? And then the second thing is you persevere with hopeful endurance. Hopeful endurance. Verse 19, by your patience, Jesus says to us, by your patience, possess your souls. The Greek word there, patience, translated in English, is literally hopeful endurance. By your hopeful endurance, possess, obtain, purchase your souls. Well, here's the problem. Life's good, then it gets bad. And when life gets bad, we tend to say, I did not sign up for this. But if you just hold on and persevere, Jesus is telling us, keep on going because you're going to be even more blessed than you can believe. He says, you know, keep persevering. There's a bigger blessing at the end. Maybe it would be better for us if instead of praying for a lighter load, we would pray for stronger backs. What, what's going to help us to move forward? What's going to help us to endure is two things. We're almost done. Two things. Shine your light and spread your salt. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Here's Jesus. He says to us, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The world wants to put your light out. And Jesus is saying, you know, don't argue about how to change the light bulb. He's turn on, just get the light turned on. Share Christ. Tell him the truth. Don't back down. Peter. Peter tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lives inside us. 1 Peter 3 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You know, that whole salt and light thing, you've got to remember the recipe, Christians. It's a pinch of salt and a lot of light. It's not the opposite. It's not a lot of salt. That will kill the dish. Right? It will mummify the dish. One last comment, and I, um, I'm always careful when I start saying anything political, but this is a political comment. You have the opportunity in our culture to, to vote and to get involved, and that's all really good, and you should. You should. But I want to also warn you to keep your faith rightly placed. Because I think sometimes Christians think that for um, the gospel to flourish in America, we have to have righteous politics and righteous government. You don't. Now, don't get me wrong. I want righteous politics and righteous government and righteous. I want those things. But God never requires any form of human government to continue his work on the earth. He can do it in spite of what you see happen at election time. So get involved. Do that. Spread, spread, spread salt and shine light and trust God. Is the church secure? Absolutely yes. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. Lord, um, first and foremost, I ask God for you to fill us with your spirit. Help us to be bold. That's one of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is the ability 
to share the good news with love and with effect. Lord, you're the way. You're the life. You're the truth. I pray we would not be ashamed of that.